right, good morning, everybody. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, special, special shout out to our visitors. I know we have several first-time visitors here. It was awesome to get to meet some of you. Um, I know I didn't meet all of you because I see faces that I haven't met yet. So I'd love to get a chance to connect with you after service. We'll be hanging out. So at least stop by and say hi. But it means a lot to us that you're here. If you are a visitor, whether it's your first time or first few times, and you're trying to make that decision whether to engage or not, um, we want to let you know that it matters to us. I have been as a visitor to churches and other places where you go in and it just, something doesn't resonate like it matters that you're there or not. And I'm not speaking ill about them. It's just in my heart, whatever it is that I needed to be fed by to feel needed, you know, um, I want you to feel that here. I want you to know that it matters. We consider this a body. The the body of Christ is what the word says that we are. We have the word community in our name specifically because that is so important to us. We want to be a home and a family. So if you're not feeling that, connect with one of our pastors, Gabe or myself. We would love to to, uh, get to know you a little bit better and just welcome you into this thing uh, that we're doing here at Discover. So um, we are... In our study in the book of Revelations, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the full name of that book, and I think it's important that we call it that because there's so much misinformation, misunderstanding about what the book of Revelation is. You see things in the movies, you hear all these cool quotes about the pale horse of death and things like, you know, four horsemen of the apocalypse, and it's easy to get the understanding that it's a scary book about judgment. It really is not a scary book about judgment. The revelation of Jesus Christ is all about God encouraging his people by saying, I am a sovereign God that is and always has been and always will be in control. The world may seem like it's spiraling out of control, that you're going through things that no one in the history of time has ever gone through, but let me assure you, I am God and I am here. And I am in control. That's what this book is about. So we should take this as encouragement. Anytime we hear prophecy like that, it's so important to see prophecy for what it is. It's not a magic trick. Look, I can tell the future. It's there for us to know, yes, God foresaw what was about to happen to me. God foresaw what was about to happen to the world. And he has a plan. And so if we trust in him and his heart for his people, we shouldn't ever see any of this thing, even that part that's correction in things in this book. And and the Bible does have a lot of correction in it. It's important that we understand that it comes from the place of a loving Father God who wants nothing more than the best for all of his people. And so as we go into this, we see things like, like the El Paso shooting yesterday, like this brand new thing that's happening in Ohio Uh, this morning, it's easy to see things as just being out of control. And our last series, if you were here while I taught it or if you weren't, our last series was all about spiritual warfare. And throughout that series, I kept saying that we know that Jesus won the war for us. The battle still rages every single day, but we know that Jesus won the war for us. And that's okay, except how do we know that? If we don't have that assurance... It's difficult to trust in that, but we do have that assurance because of a book, because of a revelation that was given to the Apostle John while he was in exile, 
And it talks of a sovereign God who's in control. It talks about the consummation of the kingdom and the ultimate victory in Christ. That's how we have assurance. And so when a lot of people read through the Bible, they get to the book of Revelation, they're like, I'm just going to skip that one. We shouldn't skip that because that's what it's all about. It's all about the consummation of the kingdom. And so let's get into it. You guys ready? All right. Little, little word of trivia for those of you who were here last week, okay, this won't be trivia for you, but if you didn't hear this, what is one thing that's special, different maybe, about the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ than all the other books in the Bible? That's it. Were you here last week? It's the only book in the Bible that explicitly says those who read it, those who hear it, will be blessed. But it's not just hearing it. You have to do what it says. And that's, that's where I come in. So my job is to read it and help make the meaning clear. In fact, Revelations 1.3, it just explicitly says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Okay, there's no more time for messing around. We need to understand this, and we need to get to it. So before we get into this, I want to just pray for a moment that God would just open our ears to hear what we, what we need to hear. So Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your word, in the middle of a chaotic world, your word is unchanging, and it's been unchanging for thousands of years since the beginning of time. Your heart has been the same, and your heart has been for us and not against us. It's been for our good and for our blessing. And so, Father, we thank you that you give us this book as encouragement in the midst of times like this. We thank you for your heart and your love for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And I just pray for open eyes, open ears to hear what you want for them. Not the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, but the words that you have put down for us for all of eternity. Give us that fresh rhema word from the Holy Spirit to reveal to us our action in all of this, what you need us to do to fulfill our part. So, Father, we lift this message and this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last week, if you were here last week, even if you weren't, it's the same. Chapter 1 begins with the Apostle John being exiled to the island of Patmos. Okay, he's, he's exiled there. And at the time, Patmos was just not, not much more than just a rock in the middle of the, of the sea. He's exiled there, and he's receiving a vision, a vision from Jesus Christ. And that's where it begins. Now, it ends with Jesus himself speaking these words to John. And that's out of Revelation 1.20, the very last verse in chapter 1. I'll read it to you. Jesus says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Seems weird if you just read chapter one and like that's the last line of chapter one. If you stop there, you're like, that's weird. Why does he go into all this prophecy and all these cool things? And then at the end, he just goes, oh, by the way, this means this and this means that. It seems unusual until you realize that chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all those breaks in chapters were kind of put there by man later to help us understand and break out the Bible. Really, it's a continuation of the thought. So it's not like, okay, let me teach you this, 
Now let me teach you this. They're all a flowing continuation of thoughts, and that's where we are. So if you read it in isolation, it can be confusing. I want to encourage everybody to read context when you're reading Scripture. Read before and after, if not the entire chapter, at least paragraphs before and paragraphs after to get an idea of what's really happening here. So this is where we are. So with that said, we flow into chapter 2, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, in the spirit of where it says if you read it and you hear it, it will be blessed, we're going to do this format with every chapter. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 2 to you right now. Now, if you like to take notes, take notes, that's fine. I would rather that you just sit and just hear. Just sit and listen. And we'll go back into each individual scripture later here. Um, but just listen. Now, if you have one of those Bibles, a study Bible that's got the red letters for Jesus' words, okay? Picture all of these words being in red. These are all the words of Jesus, okay? I use the New American Standard. It doesn't use the red letters, but these are all the words of Jesus. So here we go. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat the things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she, seek, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, you who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. There is a lot there to look into. This is four different letters, if you will, or messages, prophetic words given to four different churches who were struggling with four different problems. Different circumstances, different problems. They needed to hear different things to encourage them. But they do all have several things in common. What they have in common are some of these things. They all start out with, to the angel of the church in. Okay, to the angel of the church in. I taught this last week, but it bears a quick recap. Angel is the Greek word angelos, and it really just means messenger. Okay, to the messenger of the church in this place. Really what he's saying, he's addressing this letter, or these messages here, to the leader or the pastor of that church in that place. Okay, so this is where he's addressing this. The church, by the way, the word church there is ecclesia, okay, another Greek word, and it means congregation or the body of believers. Okay, so literally these words were written to encourage the leader and then to be transmitted by that leader to the body. Okay, so we're very much encompassing and, and, and uh, living here what we're taught in Scripture to do here. The other thing they have in common is that they all start out with the Lord saying, I know. I know your deeds. I know your troubles. I know your faith. I know your perseverance. I know. Okay, these things are encouragement to us that he's not somewhere else doing something more important. He knows what you're going through. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He is always there and he is always present. And he knows and he's saying, I know you've done very well so far, but... There are some issues that we need to address. And now is not the time to put up with false teachers. Now is not the time. He's saying the time is near. Repent or join those who will be destroyed. It's very clear. Now is not the time. The time of judgment will soon be upon us. So stand firm and receive the prize. That's how every section ends. Stand firm 
and receive the prize. So they all have those in common. Now let's go in and take a closer look. Let's take a closer look at his message to each one of these churches. Revelation 2.1 starts out, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, if, if seven stars, seven golden lampstands, you're like, I don't know what that is, Go back and listen to week one, week two of this series. On You can get a podcast. You can listen to them through our website and get caught up on what those things are because we talk about that. Now, Revelation 2, verses 2 and 3. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Okay, so he's writing this. These prophetic words are addressed to the leader of the church in Ephesus. The Ephesus now, Ephesus is a little, as a church, is a little bit over 40 years old at this point. Okay, in the scheme of things, it's pretty young, but it's, it's starting to gain some traction. And it's had some great teachers. It has had some great leadership. The Apostle Paul himself is the one that founded the church in Ephesus. He taught there for a while. Timothy taught there for a while. Other great leaders led this church in Ephesus up until the point where the Apostle John was there himself teaching, was told time and time again to stop it, and he wouldn't do it, so that's why he found himself arrested and exiled to the island. So this church has had some good leadership. Okay, they know... They know how to discern truth. They know what truth is. They know what false teaching is, and they have rejected it. And they're being commended for the fact that they have rejected this false teaching. Okay, but if you're like me, you're kind of sensing a but at this point. Okay, you've done well. You've rejected this false teaching. But, Revelation 2, 4, and 5. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So we should probably talk about what your first love is. What do you think he's talking about when he says, remember, you've left your first love. Get back there. What's that? When they first became a believer, that zeal and that passion that you had... That's true, but zeal and passion are not necessarily something that they've walked away from. They're fairly zealous. However, that zeal for the original things. Remember, the Apostle Paul founded this church, and he wrote a letter to the Ephesians later on. He wrote a letter directly to them saying, all right, remember these things. And if you remember, his key points in that letter were, number one, grace. Okay, chapter 2, he talks all about grace. Ephesians 4 is all about the unity of the body of believers, right? Let nothing get in the way of our unity together. And then Ephesians 5, all about love. Okay, so he's talking about grace, about unity, about love. Those are the three principles that the Apostle Paul really founded that church on. And he's saying those three principles are what you need to remember, those three things, return to that. Stop getting so caught up in all this other stuff that you're worried about. 
arguing theology and arguing who's right about this and who's wrong about this, remember your first love and return back there. Now, they've, again, they've gotten to the point to where they know their doctrine backwards and forwards, and they know their theology, and they are debating and discussing to the point to where there's a lot of arguing going on, to the point where there's starting to be some internal dissension. They're starting to not quite be the light to those others. When we're arguing among ourselves, how attractive are we to those on the outside looking in? We're typically not very attractive, and this is what he's saying. What does that remind you of, that situation? Does that remind you of first century Pharisees, maybe? Does it remind you of anybody in the modern church today? We need to pay attention to those things because this letter is being written to the Ephesians, or these these prophetic words being written to the Ephesians because they're going down the same path that many of us start to today. And have for centuries. It's nothing new. Revelation 2.6. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, let's talk for a second about who the Nicolaitans are. Does anybody know who the Nicolaitans are? I know some of you do. I know John does. Let's talk about the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans are named after a man named Nicholas. Who was Nicholas? We think back, we think back to that early church that was being founded in Jerusalem, the church that Peter ended up running. You can take that down. I know it's up there when I see eyes looking past me on the screen. <clears throat> Remember when that church was founded in Jerusalem and Peter was the leader along with the other apostles there and they had reached a point, they're growing so fast, they had reached a point where they said, we can't do this ourselves. We're losing track of our widows and orphans and doing that ministry that really we're called to do, and we're so caught up in the minutia of running this church that we're missing things. We need help. So remember in Acts 6, again, they, they chose from among them seven men to be deacons. Okay, if you remember your scripture, that's what it talks about. Seven men to be deacons who would literally come alongside them and take care of those day-to-day things in the church freeing the apostles up to do the ministry, right? And they choose these men. They choose Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and a guy named Nicholas. Nicholas chose him because he was a spiritual man. He was well-grounded in the truth. He was obviously well-known and connected among the apostles, and they chose him. But like many times we see this, Nicholas began to get a little too big for his britches, so to speak. Began to think a little too highly of himself, and he actually started abusing his position as a deacon in this church to start spreading false doctrine. In fact, he started traveling around to many of these other churches, proclaiming himself to be not even just a deacon, but an apostle. He started calling himself an apostle, claiming that authority. And by doing so, he was leading many of these churches astray. And this church in Ephesus is no different. Now, what he did, this church in Ephesus, Ephesus was very much a stronghold of Greek and Roman pagan worship. 
Okay, they had temples to Artemis, temples to Diana, all these in the, in the town squares. It was very much steeped in this worship. And obviously, as a Roman province, it was ruled by Rome right then. And Nicholas, in order to gain favor and position with the Roman authorities there, he started to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and twist it just a little bit. Twist it just a little bit to say things like, you know what? idolatry is okay. I'm pretty sure Jesus would be okay with idolatry. I wasn't there. I don't know if he said it like that, but that's what he started teaching. Fornication. Fornication's not so bad. Okay, there's a loophole here that we can find. He starts teaching these things in order to gain favor with the Roman government, but he's misleading others. He's taking the concepts of grace and liberty that Jesus teaches, and he's twisting it to say anything goes. There's liberty for anything that goes. And he's gaining quite a following because well, that's a whole lot easier than that other thing. It's just close enough. It's just how the devil works. He'll take the scripture and he'll twist it just enough. This is what Nicholas is doing and he's gaining this following of the Nicolaitans. So they have, bottom line is that they have addressed that. They've seen it. The church in Ephesus has seen what's happening. They're saying, you are not who you say you are. You're teaching false. That is not correct doctrine. We reject that. And they're being commended for it. You've seen it. You've rejected it. But remember your first love. This is where he is. Revelation 2, 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in paradise, which is in the paradise of God. In other words, those who persevere and stay true will join Jesus in heaven. Persevere and stay true. Follow that theme throughout this entire book. Revelation 2, 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Little fact about Smyrna. Smyrna is synonymous in many ways with with myrrh, okay? Frankincense and myrrh. This is where myrrh was manufactured. It was kind of what they were known for. And in fact, those two words, Smyrna and myrrh, are a lot of times morphed into the same word. It's a center, it's a city well known for its science, and its technology, what technology was at the time, and medicine. But it was also a center of imperial cult worship. Now, imperial cult worship is the idea, which was spreading throughout all Rome, that the emperor himself, as as self-proclaimed, was deity, was God, and was to be called Lord and was to be worshipped as Lord. This created quite a problem, as you can see. But this, this is where we find ourselves with this church in Smyrna. There's a lot of that going on. So moving on, Revelation 2.9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So a little bit about Smyrna. In order to hold a job there, again, a science of technology and medicine and, and, and science, you had to belong to a guild Okay, a guild is kind of, today we'd probably call it like a union or something like that. You had to, in order to work in those fields, you had to belong to a guild. Okay? The problem is, guilds were sanctioned by the Roman government, and in order to belong to a guild, you had to proclaim, Caesar is Lord. 
you had to proclaim that openly and publicly as part of your oath to join a guild. This obviously was a problem for them. And they held fast to the truth, and they said, we refuse to do that. But as a result of that, they couldn't hold a real job. They could not hold a real job in that town. They had to beg. They had to sell fruit. They had to do little side things like that just in order to stay alive, which is why Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you're rich. You're rich spiritually. You're rich in the things of God. This is what he's telling them. You're spiritually rich. Then he talks about the synagogue of Satan. That's kind of harsh. Synagogue of Satan is referring to, number one, Judaism was a recognized religion in Rome. They recognized it as official. So if you were a Jew living there, you didn't have to proclaim that Caesar was Lord. You didn't have to do that. You're exempt because you were recognized officially. But... These Jews were no longer holding to their religion. They were doing things like they were partnering with the Roman government to hunt down Christians, to single them out, to persecute them, up until the point where they would actually go out on the Sabbath, which they were supposed to hold to, the Jews were, and they would go out and they would hunt Christians and they would do things like, like very well known, there's a bishop of of uh, Smyrna whose name was Polycarp. A lot of people have probably heard that. He's a big fixture in feature in history, but one of the well-known things they did is that they went out on the Sabbath gathering firewood, cutting down trees to build a funeral pyre. Of course, it wasn't a funeral. They burnt him to death, but they did it on the Sabbath, and this is what Jesus is referring to when he calls them a synagogue of Satan. They're not Jews. They're Jews in name only, and they're using it to gain favor and to be able to work in this town, but they're not doing any of the things they're supposed to. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Okay, I said this, I'm going to stop right there. I said this last week. If somebody writes you a letter or something and starts out with that, they've got your attention from that point on, right? Do not fear what you're about, whoa, what? Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Okay, that sounds like a negative thing. Okay, don't fear. You're about to suffer. The devil's going to throw you in prison. You're going to have tribulation for 10 days. But be faithful even up until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is important. This is one of those instances of prophetic words being encouraging. And we see that a lot of times today with those individual, those personal prophetic words. In fact, our prophetic ministry that we have here, they do this. They give you a prophetic word from God. And the reason it's encouraging, even if it's you're about to suffer, is because you know as you go through it, God is sovereign. God knew this. God told me about it ahead of time and told me I'll be rewarded with the crown of life if I just stand firm. Again, persevere and stand firm. We need to remember that. Persevere and stay true. Revelation 2, 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, second death, we've heard that term every now and then, second death. The first death is your physical bodily death. The second death is actually referred to and kind of explained what it is later towards the end of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And we'll get there when we get to chapter 20. But that word death is a Greek word, thanatos, and it means separation from God forever. Separation from God forever. You will not be hurt by that if you stand true. Stay faithful, stand firm, and persevere. Revelation 2.12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Okay, Pergamum, that word, Pergamum, sometimes you hear it as Pergamos, depending on your translation. It's both the same thing. It's a Greek word, means citadel. It's basically like a fort. Fun fact about that, parchment was invented there. It's what one thing they were known for. Parchment, the writing on the skins, that was invented there. That's what they were known for. This had been the capital of Asia Minor for over 250 years. For a long time, it was the capital of that entire province. And Jesus says to them, Revelation 2.13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Okay, Antipas is not the one we've heard about previously. This was, this was a church leader there in, in that city. He was one of the leaders of the church, and we are taught, and, and history records, that he was martyred by Emperor Domitian. I talked a little bit about him a couple weeks ago. Um, he was boiled in a pot. He was boiled alive in a, in a giant brass pot shaped like a bull. This is what happened. Satan dwells there. Where Satan dwells refers to the fact that, remember I told you about imperial cult worship, okay, declaring the emperor as Lord. Actually, this is the place where that started. In 29 B.C., long time ago, the very first temple to Caesar as God was built there. And so this has been a stronghold for hundreds of years of that imperial cult worship, that Satan worship. So this is what he's referring to, where Satan dwells. Revelation 2, 14, 15. But I have a few things against you. I'm just going to read this one. Because you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who are in the same way holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay, anybody remember the story of Balaam? If you don't, remember the story of the talking donkey. Okay, now more heads are like, yeah. That's all the way back in Numbers 22. I won't go into that story, but if you want to hear about that, go back and read Numbers 22. Basically, Balaam, Balaam was a prophet. Balaam was, Balaam was anointed with a prophetic gift by God. He had that gift, but he misused it. He misused it for his own profit, his own well-being, his own good. And what he ended up doing is he ended up telling the king of the Moabites as they were attacking Israel how to defeat them. And the way to defeat them in, in his prophetic vision was to gather together all the prostitutes that you can and send them in. Let the prostitutes mislead everyone and send them astray. This is what Balaam did. Revelation 2, 16, 17. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. 
and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except him who receives it. There's kind of a lot of imagery there, right? Let's talk about some of that imagery. Hidden manna. Hidden manna is literally the spiritual bread of life, which would have been invisible to the pagans there. It's that bread of life. The white stone. White stone refers to in the Greek and in the Roman games, if you won in the games, you would be given a wreath, a crown, some say, okay, that laurel wreath that we see. That was kind of your gold medal of the day. But you would also be given a white stone. And the white stone as winner of the games was your, your pass, your admission ticket, if you will, into the celebration feast of the victors. So only the victors could be in this celebration feast of their individual disciplines. The victorious ones would use this white stone as their pass to get into this celebration feast. Jesus is saying, stand firm and you will receive a pass into the banquet of the victorious This is what he's saying here. Now, I love this part, the new name written on it. Now, if you've you've ever studied before or ever heard it taught, uh, if not, I'll tell you now, in Greek and and in Hebrew, okay, words are much deeper than they are to us, okay? Words then were typically a picture, and a lot of times when people were named, in fact, most times when people were given a name, that name wasn't just picked because it's popular that week or that month, right? Right? It was picked because that indicated a character trait that either your parents hoped for or was prophetically given to them, okay? It revealed your character. At least it was hoped that it would reveal your character. That word where it says new name written on it actually is just one word in Greek, and it's enoma. And enoma means the manifestation or, more accurately, revelation of your character, You will be given a ticket to the banquet of the victors and your character will be revealed. Who you really are in Christ will show on that day. And he's saying it's not important that anybody else knows this because you know it and I know it. This is what he's referring to. I love that part of it. Revelation 2, 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this. Now, of all these cities we've talked about so far, Thyatira is the least significant. Okay, it's been a Roman province or a Roman city for over 300 years. It really wasn't known for much. It was really just a military outpost between Pergamos and Smyrna. It was just basically put there to protect the entrance to these two areas. And it was really just a military outpost for most of its life. It's only real biblical claim to fame that we see other Clearly, then, Jesus considers them important enough to to give them some exhortation here and some prophetic words, was back when we see Paul on his missionary journeys, okay, he meets a woman named Lydia. Lydia's family lives there. Remember, the, the dealer of purple fabrics is what it calls her. Her family lives there, so Paul travels there, baptizes her whole family. That's really the only other time that we hear about Thyatira, But Jesus says, 2.19, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. He's saying, hey, you guys are doing great. You've even been getting stronger and better. Good for you. Revelation 2.20 to 22, but I have this against you. I'm reading this one. But I have this against you. 
that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds." So this is not the Jezebel that we hear about in 1 Kings, okay? Jezebel kind of becomes a term for that type of woman, okay? We see this over and over. Jezebel, in this case, was probably a madam. She was probably a madam there who probably originally catered to all the military that were there in town for the outpost, but then gained quite a following. She was gaining a lot of power. Even then, though, we read in the scripture where at the end it says, unless they repent. So even after all of that, misleading these people in a, in a grand way, God still offers forgiveness, not only to her, but to those who have been indulging in her sinful lifestyle. He's still offering that. Revelation 2.23, and I will kill her children with pestilence, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Okay, this is one of those scriptures that people pull out and go, okay, I will kill her children, and you say this Jesus is a loving God? How does that line up? Anytime, and I'll caution all of you, when you see those things, whether you hear them from somebody or you read them yourself and you go, wait, what, that does not make, and I will kill her children? That doesn't make sense. Let's look at it a little bit closer. Anytime that happens, look at it. Take the time to go in and study it. Her children does not mean her physical flesh and blood offspring. What it means is those throughout the generations and those like her who have ascribed to that lifestyle, that sinful, knowing lifestyle. This is what he's saying. It's a, it's a warning to those who willfully and knowingly give in to that temptation of the flesh. It's not those who make a mistake one time. You make a mistake one time, okay, I'm wiping out your entire, all your children. God does not say that. But what he is saying is if you know it's wrong and you not only do it one time, but generationally you continue in this lifestyle, And mince no words, I will kill her children with pestilence. Pestilence will come upon those who continue knowingly in that kind of lifestyle. This is what he's saying. Now is not the time to be politically correct. Now is not the time to be warm and fuzzy and just hug it out and say, hey, whatever's good for you is good for you. Jesus again and again warns the time is near. We can't put up with false doctrine. We can't engage in these lifestyles because the time is near. And where do you want to be at the end? This is what he's talking about. Now, uh, moving on, Revelation 2.24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Now, this teaching he's talking about, that's, that's all of that by by Jezebel, the deep things of Satan, they're talking about this idea of Gnosticism. Some people call it its own religion. still exists today. 
Gnosticism was really catching fire there, and there are a lot of people that were kind of being lured in by this, okay? It's kind of based in the gospel, but those who taught not, and there's an entire teaching that could go on about that, so I'm not going to go into it. But basically, the key tenant here that he's talking about is this idea that the body, the fleshly body, can indulge in all the sin that it wants. In fact, you're encouraged to in order to exercise that out of your body. But you can do that all you want, and your spirit stays clean. Your spirit's not affected by that. It basically separates those two and says, hey, just indulge all you want. You'll be fine because your spirit's already fine. And your spirit will stay unharmed by that. That's the idea of Gnosticism. And he's saying here, he's calling those the deep things of Satan. Stay away from them. Revelation 2, 26, 27, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Now, in my Bible, my study Bible, all caps like that means it's referencing Old Testament Scripture. In this case, it's Psalm 2, 8, and 9, and it basically means we will share in both the reward and and the authority of Jesus. We will have authority to crush those who try to do us harm and to do our loved ones harm. This is what this is referring to. It's that authority. Now, worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming on up. Now, remember, these churches, these four here and the three that are going to be talked about uh, when I return, they were chosen not, not randomly, not by accident. They were chosen because they represent things that all churches today still go through. Every church has their own struggles. You can't look at a church, no matter how thriving or no matter how small they are, and judge them on the number of people they have. Okay, they're judged by the spiritual maturity and the spiritual depth and how well they stand firm and stay true to the Scriptures. This is what Jesus is saying that we're all going to be judged by. And they were given these words of prophecy as encouragement just as they apply to us today. No matter what we're going through, stand firm. Reject false teaching. Stand firm. So I want to ask you, what's going on in your life today that you might need encouragement for? As we read through and we talk about the struggles and the things that these other churches are going through, is there something that resonates with you and says, that's me. I struggle with that. If you're in that place, then you can see the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ as encouragement, but also as a warning. The time is near. There is no more time, church, to indulge and just say, ah, someday, someday I'll set that aside and get more into the Scripture and I'll press into God and I'll increase my relationship with the Lord sometime. Okay, we don't know when that day comes, whether it's tomorrow or next week or a generation from now. We don't know that, but Jesus says the time is short, so stand firm. Stand firm. Part of that is seeing those things, being honest with yourself about those things that we do struggle with, and seeking the Lord's help. Because you can't fight that battle on your own. 
So as we go into our response team, we have prayer team in the back. And if you see any of those things, and you're like, I just need some prayer to help overcome these things I'm going through. Maybe it's judgment. Maybe it's active sin. Whatever it is that you're in, you need help with that. We have a prayer team in the back that would pray through that with you. But if you just want to sit in your seats and just respond during this response time, the last few songs of the, night, of the day, we call that our response time. And we build that in purposely so that you don't just like, well, have a nice day, get up and go. You can sit and let the Holy Spirit minister to you and tell you what your response to this should be. So maybe you just lift those things up to him and let him speak into that for you. And then our job is to be faithful and live that. Be obedient to what you hear from the Lord. The final two verses of this chapter leave us with our reward for that perseverance. Revelation 2, 28, 29, where it says, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The morning star is a promise from our faithful God that the dawning of the morning star, the dawning of that light will overcome darkness once and for all and forever. That is our reward for perseverance. And then to paraphrase Jesus' own words, he who overcomes and he who heeds the word of the Lord until the end will share in the eternal victory and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we go into our response time again, if you want to sit and just let the Spirit minister to you, do that. Prayer team's in the back. We're going to take communion as a church together. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you and invite you to take communion with us. You don't have to be a member or go through a class or anything like that. We're commanded as believers to do this every time we get together. If you are not a believer, you're saying, I want to know this, Jesus, but I don't yet. He makes it very easy. You declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Then you will be saved. That's all it is. Remember when I talked about the emperor's cult having to declare that Caesar was Lord? If you declared out loud at that time that Jesus was Lord, it was a death sentence because it went against what Caesar said. So it has eternal consequences. So we don't do it lightly, but it's very easy to do. All you need to do is declare it and believe it. We have a prayer team in the back who would, again, be happy to pray that through with you and to help you with that. But let's all take time now in communion and celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ. The way we do it here, if you're new at the crosses, we have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you just dip the bread or the cracker in the juice and take it that way. You can serve yourself there. Up front here, we have wine and still the bread and the crackers, and we would serve you up here same way. But let's do this in just sincere thanks and celebration of the fact that God is and has always been sovereign. Amen? Thank you, guys. Hear the voice of love that's calling There's a chair that waits for you And a friend who understands Everything you're going through He 
keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame there's a light of hope that's shining would you come and take your place bring it up to the table Nothing he ain't seen before All your sin, all your sorrow And your sadness is a savior And he calls, bring it all to the table You can see the weight you carry that hold your heart through the cross you've been forgiven accepted as you are bring it all to the table nothing he ain't seen before all your trials, all your worries, and your burdens is a savior, and he calls. Bring it all to the table. Bring it all. You can bring it all. no one who's turned away all you sinners all you saints come right in and find your grace come on and take your place there's no one who's turned away all you sinners all you saints come right in and find your grace bring it up table Nothing he ain't seen before For all your sin All your sorrow And your sadness Is a savior And he calls Bring it all to the table Bring it all to the table Nothing he ain't seen before All your sin, all your sorrow And your sadness is a savior And he calls, bring it all to the table And he calls, bring it all to the table